the book of John, chapter number 19. John chapter 19, and we will read, we'll, we will pick up where we left off last week, talking about uh, the, the sixth saying of our Lord from the cross. John chapter 19 and verse, uh, we will start in verse 28, just to kind of get a context here. Of course, we've read this before, so we're familiar with it. John 19, verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you, Lord, for those that are here today that have uh, made the effort and have dedicated their time uh, to you to come out today. I pray that you would bless them and you would bless those that are still coming. Uh, Lord, I pray especially for the class today as we study the word. Lord, help us to focus our heart and attention, put away all distractions from our minds and our hearts. Help us to focus upon the, uh, the truths at hand. And uh, would you please meet with us, we pray, and teach us. Lord, we acknowledge that outside of your grace and help and the help of your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, Lord, we have no uh, ability to study your word or understand it rightly. Lord, we, we need you to teach us. So would you do that, Lord? And would you uh, speak to each and every person here, including myself, and guide in all things, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in John 19. We're reading the sixth saying of our Lord from the cross. It is finished, and last week we, uh, we spent some time talking about uh, the, uh, one of the meanings of it is finished, and that is how that when the Lord said it is finished, one of the things he was referring to was the uh, was the fact that he had finished and completed and fulfilled the prophecies, all of the prophecies that dealt with his incarnation, that dealt with his life, and that dealt with his uh, atoning work upon the cross. Uh, he, had, he had completed those things. And we looked at in detail at uh, some 50 different prophecies, uh, some general, some many specific that dealt with, uh, the, with the Lord Jesus up to that point. Now, there's a host, as, as we said last week, there's a host of other prophecies that dealt with, that deal with uh, Christ's kingdom and his return and his reign in Jerusalem and all the different aspects of that. There's a whole host of prophecies that deal with those things that have not yet been fulfilled. And as we saw last week, those things will be fulfilled uh, literally and completely. And those things will also be finished, just like these prophecies were finished. So uh, many, many prophecies were, were completed when the Lord said, it is finished. And what's interesting is that the prophecies that we talked about last week were kind of the, kind of the, guiding, the guiding principle, the guiding word for the Lord uh, as He was upon the earth. He... He had his heart and his mind set on the prophecies because as we studied, he was a, a man of the book. 
He was a man of the book, and he followed and believed the Scripture and left us a good example. So what we want to talk about this morning is, uh, so we move from the, him finishing the prophecies, and we want to go to the meaning of it is finished as it relates to redemption. So obviously the question that, that we ask, that should be asked when we, when we look at these things is when the, Lord said, when the Lord said, it is finished, the question, natural question is, what is finished? Because he doesn't tell us. So the prophecies were finished, but also what was finished was the work of redemption. The work of redemption was finished. Now let me make a, make a point here that is, you know, that's worthy to be mentioned. Uh, that when the Lord says it is finished, he, what he was not saying was that this part of the work, this, this uh, phase was complete or this phase was accomplished. And that's why some people, some false religions have characterized the Lord's statement. He was saying that his, this phase of it is now finished and there's another phase to be done. No, when the Lord says it is finished, that is an absolute. Amen. That is an absolute. It is done. It is done. How, how do they do it? How, how do you do it? Done. Brother Crab, it's done. I never met Brother Crab, but Pastor Stewart does all these things, so I feel like I know him in, what do they call it? In, yeah, something like that. One of those Latin words. I don't speak Latin. The pig last speak pig Latin. So this is, when the Lord says, it is finished, he is referring, one of the things he's referring to is the work of redemption. And we're going to see that. So let's dive into this. First thing I want, uh, I have three points I want to cover that deal with the work of redemption being complete. Uh, the first one is that uh, because the work of redemption is complete and the Lord says, it is finished, nothing Nothing can be added to Christ's, Christ's finished work. So this, when the Lord says it is finished, this is where we get the term, the Lord's finished work on the cross. The finished work on the cross. It's a sound biblical principle, a sound statement. The Lord's finished work on the cross. Nothing can be, because he says it is finished. Now he could have just not said it is finished. And it still would have been finished, right? He could have said, he could have just skipped that part. There wasn't a prophecy relating to that uh, that, that said specifically he had to say it is finished, like other prophecies, like I thirst and such. He could have just not said it. But had he not said it, we might have room to doubt whether or not that work of, of uh, redemption was and the atonement was actually finished. But because he said it and he made that absolute statement, it left no doubt. It left no doubt. Because his work is finished, nothing can be added to Christ's work. There is nothing left to do. Now mark that. There is nothing left to do. Not only that, but because he says it is finished, nothing was left undone. It was a complete and, and total success as far as the Lord was concerned. He fulfilled his mission, and there is no task, no prophecy, of course, no task, no aspect of, re of redemption or of the atonement, we might say, of Christ's sacrificial work that was left undone. Every part was finished and completed. Furthermore, 
There is nothing that is to be repeated. When he says it is finished, that tells us that there is nothing to be repeated. Now, there are religions, there are religions that teach that at a certain, during a certain ceremony or a certain, during a certain rite or sacrament that is performed, at that moment, the atonement of Christ is in some way repeated, is in some way repeated. And that is, not, that is not scriptural. The Lord says, it is finished. Now, what's amazing is that when the Lord says, it is finished, and we'll get, a, get into this a lot more in just a minute, all of that was completed 2,000 years ago. It was done. It was done 2,000 years ago. The entirety of the basis of the Christian faith and of our eternal life was completed 2,000 years ago. Not yesterday, not today, and not the day I got saved. It was completed 2,000 years ago when the, Lord was, when the Lord died on the cross and says, it is finished. The, now, now, follow me here. Our redemption is not finished when we get saved. His work, when the Lord says it is finished, it was finished at that moment. Now, we know, and we're going to talk about this, we know there is a, a requirement to appropriate that redemption to us personally, to ourselves personally. But by doing that, doesn't add to anything he did. The work was done. All right? So, um, so we see nothing was left undone. There is nothing left to do. There is nothing that can be repeated. And what should give us great assurance is nothing, because it is finished, and because it was finished so long ago, nothing can alter or undo what he did. So here's the thing. If we are resting, this, I'm telling you, this, this is an important truth. We, gotta get, we have to get our brains around it and our hearts around it. Because the Lord's work on the cross cannot be altered or undone. If we are resting in His finished work, we have grounds for assurance of our salvation forever. If there's some other thing, though, some other action or process or technique that we're trusting in or thinking that that had something to do with our redemption, there's going to be reason for us to kind of doubt or wonder. Well, but see, here's the thing. There might come a day when you and I forget what we've done, right? There might come a day when our memory fails us. Even the day I got saved, August 4th, 1999, you know, I have... I have what, what is, you know, and a lot of people have what, is, what might be called a rather dramatic salvation experience. And it was dramatic, and it was vivid, and it's still relatively vivid to me. When, and I did, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I did pray a sinner's prayer. I was a sinner, and I was praying to the Savior and asking the Savior for forgiveness and salvation. So, um, you know, all that is true in my life. But as the years have passed, what I've, no, what I've noticed is that my memory of those events and the vividness of my memory of those events has waned, right? I don't remember it like I used to. And in fact, the emotion of that day has waned. Uh, 
you know, if you would ask me a week after I got saved or a month or a year after I got saved, it, it was a lot more, I was a lot more emotional about that because it was still in, in recent memory. But now it's been 20-something years, and so those emotions have faded. But you know what has not faded? It is finished. I might forget that I got saved. Now watch this. I might forget that I have received Christ, but it's still finished. Right? It's still finished. It's not up to me remembering my technique when I receive Christ. Again, receiving Christ is necessary. You can't, you can't appropriate the gospel personally until you receive Christ. And, and again, we'll talk about that. But, but that's not what my salvation is not resting on the technique of me receiving Christ. It's resting on when Christ said, it's done. It's finished. That's the thing. And that gives me peace. As my memory fades, it's still written in the Word that I can always go back to and say, it is finished. It's done. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. Again, the Lord did it. And He did it completely. It can't be altered. No matter what happens to me, of course, Romans 8, death, life, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So nothing can alter or undo this. This gives us grounds for great assurance. This gives us grounds for great assurance. So again, nothing can be added to Christ's finished work. He says it is finished and he meant finished. We don't add anything to it. Jesus, and I want to make this statement, I, I want to, and we're going to look at a couple of verses to, to show you this in, in more detail. When the Lord says, it is finished, He showed us that He did not die on the cross and rise again in order to leave salvation up to us to complete. You know, even when we receive Christ, we're not adding to His redemption. We're mere, merely appropriating it to ourselves. We're not adding to it. He did it 100%. That's what finished means. All right? So he did not he did not die on the cross for sinners and rise again from the dead and then left the rest up to us. Now get these ideas out of our we should get these ideas out of our minds. We are not meeting Jesus halfway. Now listen, we are not meeting Jesus halfway. God did not save us because we helped ourselves. God does not help those that help themselves. That's not the way it works. Jesus finished it. He did it all. One person I know said this when asked, why did Jesus die? Why do you think Jesus died on the cross then? They said, to give us a good start. This is what a person actually believes. It's not necessarily what their religion taught, but this is what an individual believes. You know, that's the thing. We talk about what religions teach. A lot of times that doesn't matter because you're dealing with individuals, right? And people take what they're taught in various religious circumstances and spiritual, you know, experiences or whatever, and then they kind of distill that down to what they think. And this person said, I heard him when I heard him. They said, 
Jesus died to give us a good start. No, he finished it, not started. He didn't start salvation. He finished it. He didn't start it for us to finish. He finished it. And for that reason, when we come to God, we come to him holy and completely destitute. We come to him destitute, hopeless, unrighteous, and poor. We don't come to God with something to give him to add to or complete or, or somehow add an amendment or some addendum or something like that to his redemptive work on the cross. We come to him with nothing. That's the part a lot of people take exception with. When we say we come to God as sinners, poor, destitute, hopeless, without hope, without God in the world, a lot of people balk at that because that is a very dark view of mankind. But listen, words cannot accurately describe the darkness and the hopelessness of mankind. God, God describes it in such clear language in the Scripture. So we come to him destitute, hopeless, unrighteous, poor. We don't contribute. Now listen to me. We don't contribute one small thing to what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing. He finished our salvation that day. He finished it that day. Someone might ask, well, what about when I believe? What about when I got saved? You didn't contribute to redemption. You didn't, you didn't contribute to your salvation. You merely received something that was offered to you, that it was done in full. I think Pastor Stewart, we were talking about it, and he said um, he was describing someone who, like, you go to take your car to the garage, and they repaired your car, and all you have to do is go pick up your car. You expect that when you go pick up your car, it's completely and totally fixed, right? You don't pick up your car, and then the mechanic says as you walk out, now, I, 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 uh, I replaced the valves and stuff, uh, but, you know, you, you, you got to put the, the, head get, the, head, the, the head back on it, and you got to, you know, make sure you put the oil back in it. And all. No, no, when he repairs, he repairs, it's done. You just pick it up. Now, would, now, let me ask you a question. Following, thank you for that, that illustration. He's good at illustrations. I'm very bad at illustrations. But if you go pick up your car, in that case, would you ever say that you contributed to its repair? Because you picked it up? Well, I, you know, <clears throat> I helped the repairman because I picked up my car. No. He did it from start to finish. You just took it. And that's salvation. Christ did it, and it was done 2,000 years ago. We just pick it up. We take it. We appropriate it. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Look at one verse. We've already gone through Isaiah in detail, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but look at Isaiah 53, verse 11. Of course, this is a description of the atonement. Remember, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about one thing. People get decided. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Look what it says. He, verse 10, tells us who that is, the Lord. Okay? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Look at what it says, verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his, Christ's soul, 
he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be what? Satisfied. Okay, let me ask you a question. Again, scriptural reasoning. It's a good practice, right? Scriptural reasoning. What, what would the Lord see that would cause him to be satisfied? According to verse 11. What did the Lord see that caused him to be satisfied? According to the verse. Yes, ma'am. But, but yeah, that's, that's correct. That's a good doctrinal answer. But according to the verse, he shall see what? Travail of his soul. All right, what is that referring to in context? It's referring, it's referring to all that happened on the cross that we've been studying for these weeks, right? So here's what the verse is saying. When God looked upon Christ and saw the travail of his soul, at that moment he was satisfied, right? But is that what the verse says? At that moment. Not later when you get saved, when you add whatever you add to it. No, at that moment, he was satisfied. So let me ask you a question. When was God satisfied? When was God satisfied? It's not a trick question, I promise. Do you know? When he said it was finished, when he's looking at the cross, when the darkness is lifted and the Lord says it is finished, that is done. He's already satisfied. What are you going to add to it to add to God's satisfaction? What are you going to add to Christ's work, his finished work, to satisfy God? Your faith doesn't satisfy God. Christ's finished work satisfied God, right? Now, you appropriate it by faith. You receive it personally by faith. It's applied to you by faith, yes. But God is not satisfied with that. He's satisfied with Christ's work. Amen. At that moment, done. Now, let's look. Here's the thing we need to understand. Nothing we can do to add to that redemption can satisfy God more than he's already satisfied. It's a vain pursuit. The greatness of our faith, our special feelings, or any other struggle that we have cannot satisfy God. He is satisfied already with Christ's finished work. That's what Ms. Aguilar was talking about, the the propitiation, that is the appeasement of God's wrath, the satisfaction of that of that, uh, of that, that uh, suffering and of the, the penalty required. He is already satisfied with Christ's cross. Why don't we then rest in that fact? When we rest in the satisfaction of Christ's work on the cross, that gives us peace and assurance. That is really the essence of salvation, saving faith, resting in what Christ did. Look at Matthew 26, if you would. Matthew 26, verse 28. This is the, this is the uh, Last Supper. 
Look at what the Lord says. Twenty-six, verse twenty-eight. Jesus said of the of the the fruit of the vine, he says, This for this is my blood. Verse twenty-eight, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, what? For the remission of sins. Remission. Same word as forgiveness. Right? It's the same meaning. Now, follow me with this. This is, this is not deep, okay? Upon what basis does God forgive people, according to this verse? Why does God forgive people? It says, which is the blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins? And we're talking about the blood of Jesus. The basis upon which God forgives sinners is the blood of Christ, Amen. which was shed upon the cross 2,000 years ago, right? Here's this idea we have, and it's not a scriptural idea, but this is the idea we have. God does not forgive sinners because he's a nice guy. And he doesn't forgive sinners because they ask him to. He forgives sinners because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. That's what, it, the, that's what the verse says. It says, His blood was shed for the remission of sin. So if you take out the blood of Christ, there can be no forgiveness. That's the thing. So we, when we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry, I've, I've sinned against you, and we, 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 we do what we call the sinner's prayer. The reason God forgives us is because the blood of Christ was shed on the cross and that work was finished. That's where forgiveness is found. Amen. He's not just a nice guy going around forgiving people. And there's a lot of reasons for that that go back to, you know, the, the idea of God's justice and how the just penalty must be satisfied, which is what propitiation is, which is why Christ had to die on the cross. We know that but it's all based upon that finished work when he said it is done. Had that not been done, there's no forgiveness. No matter how nice of a guy God is. Listen to these quotes. I thought they were good. <clears throat> Christ's death was an atonement, not just an example. See, that's the popular kind of a, the, the modernist view, the Christian modernist view of the, the atonement, of the cross. People view it as an example. It's not an example. It's an atonement. It's paying for sin, and it was done. It was finished. He actually accomplished the work of redemption on the cross. That's the key. He actually accomplished the work of redemption on the cross. Another author said, All that a holy God requires has been done. Nothing is left for the sinner to add. No works from us are demanded as the price of our salvation. All that is necessary for the sinner, to, uh, for the sinner is to rest Amen. now by faith upon what Christ did. Amen. It's great. <clears throat> Second thing I want us to see is that we must rest in what Christ finished. This is the core of faith. What does it mean? Now we know that 
what Christ did. He paid for redemption. He, he did redemption. He completed the work of redemption. We do not add to it. can't be altered. It can't be, uh, it can't be changed. Nothing else is needed. He did it all, start to finish. That's why I said it is finished. But there is a matter of appropriation. There is a matter of receiving that work and making it real, making it true in us as an individual. And that is something every individual must, must receive. That's a fact. What does it mean to receive the gospel? Let me say this. Just because you receive it doesn't mean you contribute it. You didn't contribute. You got it as a gift. That means it's free. You don't contribute any. Listen, our sinner's prayer doesn't contribute to it. The technique, the process doesn't contribute to it. We merely receive it. Look at 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 10. It says this. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he, listen to this, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. What is a record? A record is an historical testimony, right? A record. God has given us that in the Scripture. This is what Jesus did for sinners. Jesus did it for sinners and said, it's finished. That's the record. But look what it says. It says, because, verse 10, end of verse 10, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. What Jesus did, his finished work is complete. God gave us the record of that, the historical account of what Jesus finished on the cross. And it's by that truth, that record, that we have eternal life. The work is finished. The record tells the story. It is ours only to believe that testimony. You see? Believing the record doesn't make the record. It doesn't add to the record. We have just received the record. And rest in that record that Jesus died for sinners. Look at Romans 1, verse 16. If you would. Romans chapter 1. Of course, a familiar verse says this, Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, pause. What is the gospel of Christ? The gospel of Christ is the historical record of what Christ did for sinners. His death for sinners upon the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. That's in historic. Listen, that's 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 complete. He did that himself. You didn't contribute, I didn't contribute. It's done. But in this verse, it says, What? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, what we just talked about, is the power of God unto salvation. So that fact that the finished work of Christ is the power of God into salvation. But listen, there is an appropriation. 
It says, to everyone that believeth. That's our receiving of that finished work. The gospel is what Jesus finished. That is the power of God. That is what saves sinners. Listen, that is what saves sinners. Upon that basis, sinners are saved. We have just the responsibility to receive it. But there is some confusion on this point. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Now again, I am a person who has a traditional salvation experience. But, you know, there was a day in my life when I was 17 that I realized I needed Christ. I needed to be saved from my sin. I actually bowed on my knees and I prayed to God a sinner's prayer from my heart, right? And I asked, I called upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, verse 13. The problem is though some people trust in the process or the act of getting saved rather than in the work of Christ. The, they trust in the mechanics of it rather than the work that was done. It's this weird thing we do. And even for people that, aren't, that did trust in Christ, sometimes it confuses them. And it causes people to doubt, just to be honest. And this often includes the sinner's prayer. We ask questions like, did I say the prayer right? We ask, did, it, did, it, did I feel right when I pray the prayer? Did I do it right? And that is a source of great doubt for a lot of people. It really is. And it was for me. Did I do it right? Did I say it right? Was I thinking the right thing? Feeling the right feeling? Salvation, though, is not in this procedure of receiving Christ. It's in Christ himself and his finished work. Now, there, that doesn't deny the fact that we receive Christ. We do receive him by faith, which often involves calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not necessary to call upon the name of the Lord in a sinner's prayer, but that's per perfectly legitimate. There are people in the Scripture that did that and people that didn't. But it's not the procedure that saved you. It's the work of Christ. Amen. That's the thing. That's the difference. It's the gospel. It's what was done. That's why we say Jesus Christ did it all and said it was finished, and that was it. How many of you have been witnessing to someone and you, you try to tell them about Jesus and they, they say things like, oh, I've already done that. Oh, I did that when I was, I did that when I was seven. What exactly did you do? Did you die on the cross for your sins? Did you endure the wrath of God? No. But, they, but see, when they say that, what it reveals is they think that because they did the procedure, that's why they're, that's, they're good. But it's not the... They're totally ignorant of the fact of Jesus, why Jesus died upon the cross for sinners. They're totally ignorant of the fact that Jesus took their place, 
They think they just went through the motions and did some magical formula, and all of a sudden they're saved. And they're totally in the dark about the reality of the gospel because their trust is in the procedure. When I was a, when I was a kid and I was about eight years old, someone took me through the procedure. It didn't work. I said the prayer. I said the words. And if you would ask me when I was 15, if I had gotten saved, oh, I've done that. That's what I would have said. I've done that. But it was Jesus that did that. See what I'm saying? It was Jesus that said it is finished. He completed it. And we're not adding to it by praying a sinner's prayer. It's a lot simpler than we've made it. Listen to this. Maybe this will help clarify it a little bit before we get to our third point. This is a poem. Look what it says. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. Another's death, another's life, I cast my soul eternally. Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who, for who ought to my charge can lay, fully absolved by Christ, it is finished. I am from sin's tremendous curse and blame. See that? Even in our hymn book, 294, listen to these words. This is why we sing the hymns. The emphasis is where it should be. It's not, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's Jesus, 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 you did this for me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen to what it says. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. When, you, when, you, when we read this, is the emphasis on what we have done to receive the gospel or is the emphasis on what Jesus did to save us? It's on Jesus Christ. That's enough. That's enough. And a lot of times when I talk to people that doubt their salvation and they have questions like, did I say the right thing or feel the right thing or think the right thing, I'll, I'll ask them, put that aside. Put that aside for a minute. Whether on that day, did you say, did you think, did you feel? Your emphasis is on what you've done, as if you're adding to it. No, 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 no. Ask yourself right now, are you at this moment resting in what Christ did for you? Are you at this moment, are you at this moment resting in what he did? You know, there was a time in my life and I had a lot of doubts. And that's, that's the conclusion I came to. I came to the conclusion that I can't answer all the questions about the way I felt on August the 4th, 1999. But I can't answer this. At this moment, my faith is resting in Christ. He died for me. Number three, and we're done. This is a short one. When we share the gospel... We must emphasize what Christ finished. The emphasis cannot be upon magical mechanics of how I received the gospel, but upon the gospel itself, that Jesus died for sinners, was buried, and rose again for sinners. It must be upon that, that record that God gave his son. Listen to this, listen to this, uh, the, these statements and ask yourself, is anything wrong with this? 
when we go up to someone and talk to them, we say, are you saved? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Do, if, if, you believe in, if you believe in Jesus, God will forgive you of your sins. What have I left out? I left out the whole gospel. We talk about Jesus and we talk about what you got to do, what you got to do. We've left out everything that Jesus did. That is the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul talks about it. He says, I declare unto you the gospel, which I declare unto you the gospel, which I also received. You know what that gospel is? It's not you need Jesus in your heart. It's not if you ask God, he'll forgive you. No, it's Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. When we witness to people, that's what we tell them. Not what they got to do, but what Jesus did. Now, at some point, God, every person that comes to God by faith and is saved comes to a point where they realize they need to appropriate that. It happens every time. It must happen. But we don't walk up to someone and say, well, you need to get saved. What does that even mean? You see, there's a background. we got to give them the gospel first. Lest we lead them to think that somehow the magical prayer we give them or the magical formula we give them is somehow going to, it's not going to save them. We cannot witness without mentioning the cross. It's not possible. Because that's not the gospel. The cross is the basis for forgiveness of sinners. I'll finish with this. There was once, uh, this is a story by Warren Wiersbe. He says, there was once a rather eccentric evangelist named Alexander Wooten who was approached by a flippant young man who asked, what must I do to be saved? It's too late, Wooten replied, and went about his work. That's pretty interesting. The young man became alarmed. Do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? He He asked, is there nothing I can do? Too late, said Wooten. It's already been done. The only thing you can do is believe. It's true, right? What do I got to do to be saved? It's too late. It's already been done. Now, you got to receive it. But if you think you're going to do some magic formula and all of a sudden you're going to be saved, that's not the way it is. Jesus did it. So the question I want to close with this. Jesus says, it is finished. Talking about the atonement. Redemption for sinners. But the question that must be answered by us is this. Do we really believe that it is finished? Do we really believe that it truly is finished on that day on the cross? Let's pray.